Hi there, happy Monday. Today we are looking at a framework for organizing a music lesson plan. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 37 of Elemental Conversations. This question came from someone in the planning binder, and this was around a conversation of applying the materials in the planning binder to this person's specific situation. And we were just having a dialogue about all of the different ways that you could slice and dice the music lesson process, how you are breaking up the time in the actual 30, 45 minute lesson experience that students have. And this person was sharing that they were having a hard time with how to organize their lesson. They said, I'm having a hard time with wanting to do as many things as possible for engagement purposes. So things like games or instruments or reading or singing songs and things like that. All of these diverse musical experiences that we want students to have. But then this person said that she feels like we are blowing through things too quickly uh, from a, from a content standpoint and students are lost. And this was especially true for those older students, like third through fifth grade. So the question here is, do we do one activity really well? Or the question this person was asking, do we do one activity really well with a lot of different layers? Or do I try to zoom through as many different activities as possible? The reason I think this is so applicable to so many situations is here when I'm recording this, like in the middle of October, we have been in school for a few months at this point. And a lot of this year for so many teachers is kind of listening to students, observing students, and trying just to see where we are in terms of our musical development. And, uh, you know, aside from that, our social development and our academic development as well. A lot of teachers right now are kind of just observing students to see where we have landed this year in fall 2021. And with that comes this question of, I'm I'm not really sure what I should be teaching because I don't really have a full grasp on where students are from a music content standpoint. And all of these conversations about where are we in the curriculum, and especially for these upper grade students, where are my older students in the curriculum lineup, given the disruptions of the previous years of instruction? This topic is certainly about long range planning, but the way we end up approaching it is from this tiny day to day, lesson to lesson uh, viewpoint. That's the, the mode that we are living in is lesson to lesson very oftentimes. And so that's how this question was framed. How should I organize the music lesson itself, the music lesson plan? So that's what we'll talk about today. And we'll see that, again, going back to this idea of an elemental approach to these conversations, we will see that how we organize the day-to-day lesson has a lot to do, has everything to do with how we organize our big long-range plans. So let's jump into this. Conversations about lesson organization, lesson structure, what should I teach in what order, how should I divide up the music class? Those are curricular conversations. And so many of us do not view ourselves as curriculum developers because we think, uh, you know, I'm not the kind of person who needs to write every activity myself. I am going to pull from all of these different resources. And I understand that. And I think that's a really uh, important 
framework to have that you don't need to create every single activity from scratch on your own. And so in that sense, you might not view yourself as a curriculum developer in, in that sense of the term. But what I would like to suggest is viewing yourself with a curriculum developer hat, because while not everyone in the music room is necessarily a curriculum creator, everyone in the music room is a curriculum editor. You are a curator of curricula. And this is true because all music teachers are going to make decisions about what approaches and what activities and what resources students need. So they're going to make these decisions about what to include, but by that same token, we are also making decisions about what to exclude from our teaching. Even if we have parameters around what standards, or if we have specific songs at specific grade levels that we're going to use, all of that stuff, there is still a lot of room for making curricular decisions in elementary general music. We can all put on our curriculum developer hats because we are all curriculum editors. This question has a lot to do with having a bunch of activities that you're not really sure where to plug in to the lesson itself. This is a conversation around streamlining your curricular activities, which means we need to know what those activities are serving. One of the tricky things that can kind of muddy our thinking when it comes to these curriculum editing conversations, uh, we have these different pathways that we can talk about. We have musical skills, we have musical media, we have musical concepts, we have musical standards, we have musical learning processes, all of these different uh, kind of avenues of the music lesson itself. So let's talk about musical skills and musical media. This is very often where we start the lesson planning process. Musical skills are things like singing and playing instruments and moving and reading and writing and improvising and arranging and composing and listening. Those are musical skills. Those are the doings of music. And we also have a a kind of an adjacent idea, which are the musical media. And the ORF approach is very intentional about saying we are going to actualize our musical understanding with instruments, with singing, with speech, and with movement. So when I asked this colleague who was struggling to kind of think through how they were organizing their lesson plan, when I said, well, how are you organizing it right now? This person said that they are going to do a welcome song and then an instrumental activity and then a movement activity and then a game and then a closing song. You will notice that in this framing of the lesson that this person was thinking through, these uh, segments of the lesson were based around activities. They were based around the musical doings. We're going to talk about why that's a really good idea and how we might tweak it to be a little bit more intentional. So those are the musical skills and musical media. We also have musical concepts. These are the kind of big building block elements of music, things like expressive elements and pitch and texture and rhythm and form, all of those musical concepts. Okay, so, so far we have musical skills, we have media, we have the concepts, and then we have the learning processes themselves, how we are going to move students through the understanding of whatever it is we are teaching. So that is something like uh, the ORF approaches, imitate and explore and create, or the Kodai framework, prepare, present, practice, you might have the fire robin sequence uh, movement from readiness to writing compositions, things like that. 
And then ultimately in this conversation about how to structure a music lesson, at some point we need to recognize that the point is not to uh, teach how to play BB Bumblebee or teach how to play Apple Tree. When we zoom out and out and out and out and out, ultimately we are trying to craft, we are trying to invite students to be musical people. People who can use music as a tool for empathy and communication with artistic expression, right? So this is not music for music's sake, but music for people's sake, because music is ultimately a human act. And this is a conversation for a separate time. Uh, But I want to acknowledge that in this conversation of how to organize a single music lesson, there are many different layers that we are kind of talking about. So when we look at the actual day-to-day teaching approaches we are using, I don't want to come across as ignoring the main purpose of the music curriculum, which is a human curriculum. Okay, let's kind of move from the abstract there and zoom into the actual question of organizing the lesson. What are we going to learn versus what are we going to do? This is a big distinction in our mental process for lesson planning and for curriculum editing, right? What will we learn versus what will we do? Let's look at this, what will we do question. Here's a lesson example based around some activities. So we might have, and this is what we already discussed as as this person's kind of framing of the lesson, a welcome song, an instrumental activity, and then maybe something movement, and then maybe a, a game or a literacy, like reading and writing activity, and then a closing song. Okay, this lesson structure is based all around activities, the doings, the, um, the skills. A very, very good thing about this lesson structure is that there are so many different modes of musicking that students are going to do in a single lesson. Can you imagine how fast paced this kind of lesson would be? This is fabulous. You walk in, you're doing your welcome thing, and then right away we're moving to something instruments, and then the instruments are gone, we're doing some creative movement, and then we're all going to sit down and read something on the board, or maybe we're going to play a game, and then you have your closing song and you leave. The fabulous thing about organizing a lesson based around activities is the diversity of experiences that students can have in a 30 to 45 minute lesson experience. That is great. So I want us to keep this, you know, we talk in this podcast and I know Anne Molesky talks a lot about, in her words, active music making. I want us to keep this emphasis on active musicking in that we can see very clearly in this lesson structure for this first example based around what are we going to do in the music class. There is a potential challenge, though, in framing the lesson in this way. And you'll recall that the colleague was talking about how you're kind of zooming from activity to activity, and then you look around the room and it's like, oh gosh, everybody's lost. (laughs) And honestly, I feel a little lost as the teacher. There's just like so much going on in a single lesson. And what happens if a student doesn't understand something? Then what are we going to do in the next lesson? Where do these activities lead? What happens if students are lacking the understanding to actually do the game, which can 
definitely happen, especially with these older students with third through fifth grade who have had so many different musical experiences before coming to this year of this class with you as their teacher. So this lesson structure is around the actual doings of music. We have a good example here of how we could structure a lesson around the actualization of musical understandings, but we're not explicitly addressing the common thread from lesson to lesson of the musical understanding itself. So let's look at a different example of how we could structure a music class based on concepts. Let's take that same welcome song at the beginning and then we'll have a musical focus. Our first musical focus will move from that to a change of pace, some sort of movement activity, something like a brain break, and this can be a purposeful brain break, <laughs> and then our second musical focus, and then a closing song. So I'll say it again, a welcome song, first musical focus, this is a concept, and then a change of pace, our second musical focus, this is another concept, and then the closing song. Let's take this first musical focus and let's imagine that the musical understanding, the focus of this activity is a pitch understanding and the specific tonal pattern that we are working with in this case is la in so, la, so, mi. So let's say in this first class, we are going to spend seven minutes on this main concentration piece, this musical focus section of the lesson. And in this first class, students are going to sing and play the game to apple tree. And then after we've played a few rounds of the game, we're going to do a challenge where students enter here the first eight beats of the song and trace the melodic contour. This is a divergent movement activity. They can trace that melodic contour whichever they, way they want. They could also do it with a partner or by themselves. So that is seven minutes in the first class and the purpose of this class of this lesson segment of the class is law in so law so me okay great so that's seven minutes of the first class let's move to the second class this is going to take three minutes and we're going to do apple tree again but now it's just as a change of pace where we're just going to sing and play the game i mentioned that the change of pace can be purposeful and just for fun if you just do an activity for fun that is certainly a purposeful activity just for fun is a purpose for our sake in this lesson example let's say that as the change of pace students are going to sing and play Play the game to apple tree but we'll change it up after a few rounds by having students enter here the song and play the game okay that's three minutes next let's say this is the third class and we're going to do apple tree again back in the main concentration area of the lesson this lesson focus and in this class for seven minutes we are going to play the game one time but then students turn to a partner and they find a way to show the melodic contour of will your apples fall on me with movement or body percussion that could be standing on tiptoes they could be clapping hands with their partner they could be stamping their feet whatever it is. From, from there, we can identify the melodic contour of those beats on the board. Will your apples fall on me? And in the context of the first eight beats, it is apple tree, apple tree, will your apples fall on me? From there, we can orally figure out that this higher pitch is a step higher than so. And a great way to see that is on a barred instrument. So on a barred instrument, we can identify visually with that barred instrument placed vertically that a step higher than so would be whatever pitch is higher than so on the barred instrument. 
And we can transpose this to several different places. So if so is G, figure out where the higher pitch is. Well, if so is G, then that higher pitch is A. If so is C, then that higher pitch is D. If so is D, then that higher pitch is E. So we're transposing to several different places. And again, this is a seven minute activity. Okay. We're trucking along. Let's say in class four, we're not going to do apple tree. We're done with apple tree for right now. <laughs> and instead we will sing and play the game to Plainsies Clapsies. And after a few rounds, students are going to discover that this new high pitch is in this song too. The same high pitch of will your apples fall on me, Plainsies Clapsies. Oh, wow. So this song has that new high pitch as well. From there, students are going to help the teacher map the melodic contour on the board line by line and that shows us that every line in the song has the same core melodic pattern of so high so me the whole time great well then with a partner we can figure out how to play this song on barred instruments the teacher will just say please play this song and have so be living on g right now so students figure out the song by ear with a partner Maybe at this point, you let students know that in this music class, the word for that high pitch that we are using, the word we are going to use is law. And maybe you share the uh, hand sign that you're going to use, and maybe you share how you're going to write it on, on the staff. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. That will depend on what you observe from students in these activities. So let's move on from that. That was Plainsies Clapsies for seven minutes. And again, that's in this high uh, musical focus area of the lesson, this musical focus, high concentration segment of the lesson structure. So then let's move to class five. This is also going to take seven minutes in the next class with a partner. Students are going to go back to apple tree and figure out how to play those first eight beats on barred instruments. But then guess what? With their partner, they are going to rearrange the pitches of those first eight beats. So, so me, so, so me, so, so la la, so, so me. They will rearrange those pitches to create their own version of the song and play it with their partner. For this, students can use like bingo chips or other manipulatives to write down the melodic contour of their new song, or they might write down the melody on the five line staff using so, me, and law. And again, this will depend on what you've observed students, uh, how you've observed students interact with this melodic material in the previous classes. Let's cap it there. And you can see how this could continue at, you know, lots of different musical experiences. In these examples, we were singing, we were playing instruments, we were moving, we were reading, we were writing, we were arranging, we were orally identifying, we were inner hearing, and we were playing games. There's also this collaboration element with other classmates, and we have this creative choice that we are given with the uh, rewriting of the melody and then arranging things for body percussion and showing melodic contour, things like that. So you can see how planning in this way would lead to a really wide variety of musical skills, musical activities, and musical media over time. These skills are naturally embedded in the learning process as ways to embody the concept, as ways to actualize our understanding of this specific pitch pattern. So these activities, we talked about five lesson segments and all of those lesson segments build on each other because they are all revolving around a specific pitch 
concept. So students can figure out a song by ear. They know how to do that because they've been working on this pitch pattern in a previous lesson. They can rearrange a melody on barred instruments. And then if they want to write it down, then they can write it down in graphic notation or in standard Western notation because they've been critically thinking. They've been thinking musically about this pitch pattern and every activity is building on the one that comes before. One way to kind of reframe this way of thinking, if this is kind of a new concept for you, thinking about musical concepts as opposed to how to play specific songs, one way to kind of frame your thinking is to think of this as, you know, those mind bubble maps where you have the center idea and then all of these different uh, bubbles kind of branching off of that central core idea. And all of the other ideas are connected to that one main core concept. That is a nice way to think about lesson planning and this type of structure from an idea generation standpoint. So you have your musical concept in the middle, in this case, so la, so me. And then all around that concept are the ways that we can show our understanding. So singing songs with so la, mo, so, so la, so me, or playing it on instruments, improvising with it, moving with it, reading, reading and writing it, orally identifying it. All of those are the bubbles that are the experiences that are connected to the core concept of so la so me. There are many, many experiences that can bring diversity to the lesson over time. And so in that sense, this is connected to that first lesson structure that we talked about, you know, uh, walking in with the welcome activity and then doing the movement and then doing a game and the instrumental activity. In that sense, this is connected to that first lesson structure that we talked about, but every musical experience that students have, those are serving the core purpose of the lesson segment. In this case, so la, so me. So there's a stream of different media and experiences, but they all point back to the same melodic concept. And because we're teaching a concept and not an isolated skill or doing an isolated activity, students can build on previous knowledge in this type of curriculum that's going to spiral and sequence throughout lessons, but then also throughout the entire curriculum as a whole. You know, if we were to zoom out and look at it from a grade by grade programmatic level. And that way, with this framing of a lesson structure, that's also, you know, as we can see, tied to long range planning, when it's time to expand our tone set with this example of so la, so me, students can build on their aural skills from previous knowledge to think about the things that they notice with this new pitch. And then we can think, oh, does that pitch happen in any other songs that we sing in class? Great. Does it happen in any other songs that we sing outside of class? Ooh, interesting. When we know how far away this pitch is from other pitches in our conscious vocabulary, we can figure it out by ear on barred instruments or on recorders or piano or guitar. So the beauty of concept-based teaching is that it allows for the transfer of knowledge across many different skills and across many different lessons and different experiences. And the idea here is that you can transfer that knowledge easier from the classroom and into the real world. Now, if I teach you how to think about music, again, with this example of pitch, 
if I can teach you how to think about pitch and pitch relationships, then you have what you need to figure out a song by ear when you're at home or later with your high school garage band or whatever it is. This transfer of knowledge is the real beauty in this concept-based teaching. Let's go back to this first lesson structure, though, the activities-based teaching. If we are organizing things around activities, around skills, like an instrument activity and a movement activity and a game and a reading activity, if we are organizing our lessons around activities, you can see that it becomes very tricky to see the thread that ties these activities together. So let's imagine that you are searching Pinterest for a really great activity to use with third grade and you find one on Pinterest and you love it and you're like, oh my gosh, my students are going to flip for this. And so you use it in class and they do, they love it. That's great. That's a win, right? (laughs) But there's a problem because when that fun activity is over, dot, 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 (laughs) what do you do the next lesson, right? If I teach you how to play a song, on barred instruments or how to play low E on the recorder. And that's the entire lesson segment. Well, then the next class, I need to find a new song to teach you. And when we plan this way with activities in the forefront, we are constantly starting over from scratch. It's a hamster wheel. We're constantly starting over from scratch each lesson because without knowing the purpose of the activity, it becomes very difficult to know the next steps. And so this means that we're constantly searching for the next lesson idea. We're stuck looking for activities that we can do instead of looking at the students, right? Looking at the students to see what they need from us in order to actualize a musical concept. When we're looking just at activities, it becomes tricky to look at the students and see what they need from us to actualize a musical concept. And then kind of compounding that problem or building off of that problem of searching on Pinterest for fun third grade activities, what can end up happening there is without knowing the purpose of the activity, we can end up with an overwhelming amount of fun musical experiences that we have just pulled from Pinterest. And that's great. Like it's great to have a whole bunch of options, but it can be overwhelming if there's no way to curate those lesson ideas. It can be overwhelming if you feel like you just have like a bunch of materials, but you're not sure how to use them in the actual lesson. So we can reframe our thinking of lesson planning to be about conceptual education. And when we do that, this colleague that I was talking to, in her words, things are much easier to digest if we're thinking about concepts. It is a perhaps a subtle shift in thinking, but I think it makes a big impact. It's a change from how to do the activity to how to actualize a concept. When we talk about this concept-based approach to planning a lesson, we can see that this is very closely tied to long-range planning. And I have other uh, podcast episodes and blog posts and products and all sorts of things around this idea of long-range planning. But if that's not something that you have under your belt at this moment in time, no problem. There are some questions that we can use to kind of clarify our thinking as we are crafting our lesson experiences. So some of those clarifications 
clarifying questions would be just look at the song, the game, the activity that you are going to use in your lesson, let's say tomorrow, (laughs) and you'll just ask, what am I using this song game activity piece to teach? Another question is where does this activity lead? What is the natural next step from this activity? The medium and the skills, the doings of the music lesson, right? The games, the instrumental activities, the songs, the literacy activities, those are there to actualize, to embody the musical understanding of how music is constructed. So we have a couple different streams going on in our music lesson. We have this kind of uh, snapshot vertical stream of a lot of different experiences inside this 30-minute lesson experience. But then we also have this horizontal stream of concepts that we are circling back to from class to class. And then if you look even more broad, zoomed out from year to year. This completely eliminates the question, what am I going to teach next class? (laughs) And it also eliminates the question, uh, how do I know what students know? Because we are always looking at evidence of understanding of a musical concept. And then if we have this piece of understanding that we can observe in our students, then that frees us up to do the next level and then the next level and then the next level and then the next level. So we are not looking for things to fill up time. We are looking for things to serve the purpose of the lesson segment. Okay, great. We could end this podcast episode here and I could say, hey, listen, don't plan your uh, lesson plan based around activities, plan it on a musical focus and then the activities serve the focus. And that would be great. But as with everything in life, you are going to find people with different opinions about this topic. So I want to talk about some of the criticisms that are out there about this type of lesson planning structure that I'm advocating for. Let's talk about some of the criticisms. We'll look at the two, what I have come across as the two main criticisms of this type of teaching, because I think that these are valid things to keep in mind. You know, we don't want to fall to one extreme or the other in our curriculum planning, or in this case, our curriculum curating. We want to make intentional decisions. Let's look at this first one. It has to do with music being a science or music being an art. One concern about this concept-based approach is that if we break down the elements of music into little pieces, like uh, looking at music as melody and form and rhythm and all these things, when we break it down into these elements, we are turning music into a science, very much like how the periodic table is broken down by elements. And the concern here is that music needs to be used for a way for as a way for humans to express themselves. And when we make things scientific, when we turn things into elements, we're taking away the true point of music. And that is music as human expression, human feeling, human communication. We make it stale. We move it from an art to a science. And I think this is a valid concern. I think that it is uh, perhaps more valid in curricula that break down musical elements into like one unit on rhythm and one unit on form and one unit on expression, right? Something that I like to keep in mind with this criticism, because again, I do think that it's valid. Something that I like to keep in mind is that there is not a good way to effectively isolate a musical concept, a musical element from other musical elements. So when we sing and play the game to Apple Tree, for example, that song has a musical form. 
and it has rhythm and it has articulation. We're singing it with some type of musical expression. So even if we have a melodic focus for an activity, it is basically impossible to take away the other elements of music from that one musical focus. We're not going to sing a song that has no time. (laughs) We're not going to sing a song that doesn't have a form. All of the elements are there and we are using them, but we are focusing on one thing to highlight, one conceptual understanding that we can highlight. And then there's also an assumption in this criticism that art and science are fundamentally different things. And this is a viewpoint that is common. It's common today, but this viewpoint of art and science being totally separate, that has not always been around there in, in the past. Like if you look at, and I'm not an expert in this in, in any stretch of the imagination, but if you look at the Renaissance, there was an understanding that art and science are the same. There was a connection between math and the physical sciences and music and visual art and sculpture. When we try to separate art from music, I think we end up doing a really tricky dance around both of them because I think that these are two subjects that are very often divorced in our thinking. And this is a subject for a different time. But if we look at all of the ways that what we view an art is connected to what we would view as a science or a craft, we see lots of commonalities between sciences and art. So that's something that I think about with this criticism of taking down the musical elements and turning music into a science. Another thing that I like to keep in mind when I consider this criticism is that I believe a lot of this has to do with how you teach the concepts as opposed to being structured around the concepts themselves. What I mean by that is, are there opportunities for students to work together? Are there opportunities for collaboration in the music lesson? Are there op- are there opportunities for improvisation and students making creative choices and students uh, working together to figure out some of these social decisions that you need to make in a musically collaborative setting? That has to do with how we are teaching, not necessarily with what we are teaching. So if we look at music as an avenue for human expression and for human uh, communication, there is a lot of room to include those human elements, music as a fundamentally human act in how we teach what we are teaching. So those are some of the things that I keep in mind with this criticism of using music as a science instead of an art. Another big criticism that I hear that, again, I think is very valid is this question, hey, where's all the other stuff? (laughs) Where's all the other stuff in your curriculum that do not fit into necessarily, that do not necessarily fit into this mode of lesson planning? So things like instruments of the orchestra or music history or listening lessons that don't fall into a specific category of musical concepts. If you choose to include these types of activities, I like to view them as side dishes to the main course or things to add kind of a change of pace and interest to the music curriculum as a whole. I believe that there is 
plenty of room to teach what you care about in your music curriculum. So if you care about these things, where could they fit into this view of the music lesson as a meal? <laughs> Very often, this might be like three to five minutes across several different lessons at the end of class. So maybe we have, let's just imagine that you really care about teaching the instruments of the Western European orchestra. And that's like your thing. You're like a band person and you're like, yes, Western European music instruments. They are awesome. I love teaching about this. Great. So maybe that is like three to five minute lesson segments across several different lessons right before the closing routine. And maybe right before you sing your closing song, you have, uh, you know, three minutes of a tuba. And students are talking about what they hear with the tuba. And then maybe the next lesson, you are looking at another brass instrument, perhaps uh, another low brass instrument. And students are comparing, like, what do you hear in this instrument versus this one? And maybe you have a movement activity that students are going to do. But again, all within this three-minute segment before your closing routine, or perhaps as students are lined up waiting for their teacher to come get them. Another thing to point out is if you are the person creating your lesson structure across your entire year, you have the authority <laughs> to say, I'm going to put a pause in the typical lesson structure. And for these two weeks, we are going to do a full deep dive on the instruments of the Western European orchestra. And that's what you're doing for those two lessons full time. And then after those two lessons, like that little detour on your map, <laughs> changing analogies there, then you can pick back up with your typical lesson structure of a musical concept focus. So there are a couple different ways that you could view that, but basically Anything that you care about doing in your curriculum, there is room for. We can find a place for it. Another way I like to answer this question of, hey, where's all the other stuff, <laughs> is to go back and look at the questions that we were asking earlier when it was time to long range plan. What am I using this song or game activity, this piece? What am I using this to teach? And where does this activity lead? Where is the natural next step? So with this, with these questions answering the larger question of where's all the other stuff, I want to see, is there a way to tie in this quote unquote extra material into what students are already learning? So for example, if I choose a listening lesson, if I create a listening lesson, are there any musical concepts in the listening piece that students can notice and move to and sing along with or play on their own? Thinking about the core purpose of this quote other stuff, that can help clarify where it's going to fall inside the actual lesson. Okay, we have talked about a lot today, but the main idea here, the elemental foundation is when we are structuring our music lessons, when we organize the music experiences, one of the most practical things we can do is think about what concept our activities are serving. A great way to think about this is to try to delineate between what is a musical skill or medium and what is a musical concept and how can these musical skills serve the understanding of the musical concept. This takes us out of the hamster wheel of lesson planning of what am I going to teach next? What should I teach today. My class is coming in five minutes. What are we going to do? It moves us out of that because every activity has a conceptual 
purpose. And then when we are moving from lesson segment to segment to segment in our actual, uh, you know, 45 minute lessons, we have this really beautiful combination of diverse musical experience. If we were to look at our lesson just as chunks, right? Uh, diverse musical experiences that students are embodying. But then if we zoom out, we have this horizontal thread of musical concepts that students can build off of class after class and year after year, both inside the school building and outside in their own musical lives. 